Hello, welcome to Dying to Know, my love. My name is Izzy and I am your podcast host. How are you? I hope you're well. So on the last episode, we had a, I'd say a brief introduction to dying in Ireland. Obviously, there are so many aspects to this. That is why I'm creating the podcast, because it would be impossible to speak about it all in one episode or one video. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about who can pronounce people dead in Ireland and what the requirements are to pronounce death. In this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the definition of death itself. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that what we, people in general, refer to as death is actually just one of two deaths that can occur to a person. So sit back, relax, and let's explore this together. You know, a study was done about 10 years ago and it is estimated that the number of all of the people who have ever lived on Earth, and by people, you know, we're referring here to humans, uh, creatures who are visually quite indistinguishable from us apart from the usual variances, that number is over 107 billion. Now, like I said, this study was conducted 10 years ago, so that number keeps growing. And when the study was done, over 6% of all of the people that had ever lived on Earth were alive in that moment, when that study was done. That is a huge number if you think about the massive time frame, if you go back to when humans first began. One thing that we all have in common is that we are going to die. I am a person who believes in celebrating the differences. I am not a person who's like, well, I don't see that about someone. I don't see it. Of course we do. Of course we do. We recognize differences in race, facial structures. We're built to do that so we can distinguish one another. If we didn't recognize those differences, we'd have trouble telling who was who. But we all do die. And I think the circumstances surrounding one's death are not equal. You know, there have been people who have died due to neglect, medical incompetence, poverty, just sheer bad luck. The circumstances in which we die can be based on privilege and access to resources. And people who have money can generally be kept alive longer. That being said, In a sense, death is the great equaliser, because nobody can stop it. We can prolong it with medicine, prolong life that is, but no one can live forever. And I am of the belief that that's the way it should be. It has always (laughs) frightened me when I've met people or had friends who said, yeah, I'd love to live forever. I cannot think of anything more boring, more meaningless. I realise that this is a philosophical debate, but for me, life has meaning because it ends. Things have meaning because they are not permanent. That's where the beauty comes in, you know? But that is, of course, like I said, a philosophical debate that is looking at the meaning of life and what that all means. And we're not really here to discuss life, are we? We're here to discuss death. Uh, When we talk about death... As I said in the intro, we generally, civilians, people who are not trained medically, people who don't deal with death on a day-to-day basis, 
are going by what we understand death to be. Now, the uh, definition of death, as I said in the previous episode, has changed massively as we have had a better understanding. Like I said, it was tied heavily to religion, to spiritual belief, the idea of a soul. Now, there are different variations on this depending on which faith you are a part of, but it generally remains the same throughout, especially in bigger, uh, more prominent religions in the world, such as Christianity, Islam, Judaism. Now, you can correct me, absolutely, if I'm wrong, because I'm not an expert in religion. I, myself, was a bit of an anomaly growing up. I was not baptised. I didn't make my communion or my confirmation. I was never inducted into the church. So I would describe myself as agnostic. That being said, there is definitely talks to have about death and religion, death and spirituality, and death and faith, death and belief. Because for a lot of people, that is a coping mechanism. But when we look at how we define death now in scientific terms, it's seen as the permanent irreversible cessation of all biological functions that sustain a living organism. Sustain. Sustain. You're going to hear me tripping a lot over my words. I tend to do this because my brain works faster than my mouth. Um, it is a hindrance. <laughs> but it happens and we move on. We move on. So this is what we think of in the modern world and contemporary society scientifically when we think of death that is what we think of all these biological functions are stopping it is permanent and there is no reversing it you can't bring back someone from the dead now that is also a loaded term because obviously if you look at resuscitation chest compression cpr there are people who can be declared legally dead and then brought back to life but death death when someone is dead you know it is the final word the last chapter the closing of the book the locking of the door that is done But, but, (laughs) there is another death. And a lot of people, when when you put it in these terms, people generally are like, no, there's only one. It's just dying. That's what it is. But then when you say the term brain dead, light switch goes off. I didn't really have an understanding of brain death uh, growing up. Like I've said, a lot of this has been new and I've been fairly sheltered in all honesty in my life. But we've heard stories or we see it on medical dramas or we read a story in the newspaper about someone who had to be taken off life support. So brain death is exactly what it says on the tin. The brain is dead. The brain is no longer functioning. There is sometimes a little bit of confusion about what this means and misinformation and people frequently mix it up with other forms of brain damage or coma so our terms with that are changing a lot as we try to be a little bit more specific and a little bit more defined for example brain death is irreversible it is absolutely irreversible if you look at someone who is maybe in a persistent vegetative state or someone who has brain damage or someone who is in a coma that is different to brain death Because if someone is in a vegetative state or has brain damage or is in a coma, their body is still functioning. For example, they will, might be able to open their eyes. They might be able to look around. They might be able to blink. They can breathe of their own accord, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to speak or respond or make movements with their body. But all the necessary functions, biological functions to keep them alive 
generally still work. They might not work perfectly and there may need to be help there. They may need to be assisted with a medical device or medication, something along those lines. But generally, even if these uh, states are not reversible, even if it is a lifelong thing, they are alive. By our definition, they are alive. Brain death is ultimately when the brain has completely shut down. So what that means is that you've not only lost the higher functions of your brain, but your brain stem is no longer functioning either. It is very upsetting and it's a very difficult topic to talk about. But brain death is legally seen as death in most countries around the world. And that is because, yes, the heart can still beat, but only if assisted. Like I said, this this is a very, very heavy topic because it really goes into the grey area of what is considered life and what is considered death. And in the context of Ireland, one of our big things has always been a right to life. You have a right to life. This can be traced back to how closely the government has been linked in and influenced by the Catholic Church. If you look at the Eighth Amendment, um, which was the right to life, including that of an unborn child, and how much that was a debate and how this was not repealed up until a few years ago. It would have been three and a half, coming on four years ago now. And this was a hotly discussed topic because people say you have a right to life. You have a right to this. So when we talk about terms like brain death and how that person is considered legally dead people can get upset and I think that is quite understandable if you have someone that you know and you love and all of a sudden they're on life support and and their chest is rising and falling and their heart is beating but a doctor is saying to you they're dead they're gone you are going to think but they're still breathing isn't that life and that's where it kind of gets a little bit muddled I think and a little bit gray but Ultimately, like I said, brain death is irreversible. There is no form of consciousness there. There is no function there. The person isn't aware. For all intents and purposes, if we're talking about consciousness, they are dead. This isn't the same as being asleep or being in a coma because you can still, you know, when you're asleep, you have dreams, you can move. You can be woken up because you are reacting to stimuli. And the same in a coma, you might not be able to react. But they say when someone is in a coma, they can hear what's happening around them. They do have an awareness. When someone has brain death, that function is gone. You, it is of my belief that you are dead. The heart is beating, but... The mind, or what some people might call the soul, is no longer there. When we talk about death, as in this person has died, we rarely refer to brain death. What we call death is referring to cardiac death. Cardiac death is, again, like brain death, very explanatory, self-explanatory, in that it's the heart stops. It's no longer beating. Everything is done. The door is closed. 
And I think it gets confusing. It is confusing to know that your brain can be dead, but your heart can still go. But how can your heart go if your brain's no longer functioning? Because your brain is the powerhouse of your body. It controls everything, all the electrical signals that come from there. That is your brain. Your brain tells your heart to beat. Your brain tells you to breathe. Your brain tells you to blink. You move without having to think about it because your brain controls that. And it's also how we communicate, form memories, learn languages, process things, understand abstraction, concepts. Without that, what are we? And again, I think, you know, this... The reason this is a heavy topic is because then it can go into a state of who are we to decide whether someone should be kept on life support or taken off. But it is rare that someone will be kept on life support for an extended period of time because it is generally seen by medical professionals and I think the population as a whole to be extremely unethical. It is not them, it is a machine pumping their heart. The difference between brain death and cardiac death is that with brain death, a machine will keep the heart pumping, blood will keep going. With cardiac death, the final frontier, no machine is going to be able to do that. Those functions have ceased completely. (laughs) Even with a machine, even if it was really advanced, you know, I've just died. I'm dead. There's no coming back. If you put me on life support, I would still start to decay. It would be a very grotesque manipulation and animation of a corpse. Whereas with brain death, as long as that machine is there, the heart is still beating, which means the biological functions, apart from the brain, are still running. But once you take them off life support, there is no input there neurologically and so the heart stops it cannot beat unassisted and so that's kind of to give you a basic understanding so how do we check for brain death we spoke a little bit in the last episode about how someone is declared dead or pronounced dead what do they check for and one of the uh, steps that I talked about was shining a light in the eyes to see if the eyes respond And like I said, when a doctor does that to you as a patient, when you are alive in the hospital or at the office, they're checking you for neurological damage, neurological issues. This is another way that they also diagnose brain death. One of the first steps is shining a light into the eyes to see if the pupils contract. If they don't react to the light, that is an issue. Like I said before, it's a reflex. Your brain does it but you don't know it's doing it, which is kind of a lot of what goes on in our bodies. They're quite astounding when you think about it. But there's also other tests that they do. And some of these may seem um, a little bit uh, questionable, I think, in some senses. You kind of, reading them, you're a little bit like, oh, is that necessary? But if a person is brain dead, you know, you have to keep in mind, they're not aware of this. They can't feel it. There's nothing there to register this. So the torch is shone into both the eyes to check to see if the pupils contract or react to the light. They apply pressure to the forehead and they pinch the nose to see if there's any movement in response, like a flinch or just any response to any kind of outside stimuli. 
they may stroke the eye itself, an open eye, with a tissue or a piece of cotton wool to see if it reacts. This makes me cringe. <laughs> I'm just like, oh God, I'm getting memories of, I did my work experience in fourth year in a vet's, a veterinary office, and a cat was going for surgery. And the thing with cats, when they are under anesthesia, their eyes don't close. And so it was my job as a little teenage unpaid labourer to, oh, it's so disgusting, even talking about it now. I had to apply gel to the cat's eyes uh, so they wouldn't dry out because the cat's not blinking. You can't force the eyes shut on cats when they're under, under anaesthetic. And the whole time I was doing it, I was throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> Just touching an eyeball, that is something that makes most people viscerally uncomfortable. And I think it's because we have this innate awareness of how vulnerable they are how soft and blah. Anyway, so the point is, even just imagining that gives me such a reaction. I'm, it's not happening to me, but because my brain is functioning, I'm flinching, talking about it. I'm physically cringing, I'm tensing. So they will just brush this over the eye because in anyone with a neurological function, brainstem and higher neurological functions, they're gonna blink or they're gonna move their eye away. Or they're gonna flinch away. And if they have full capacity, they're probably going to grab you by the collar and be like, what the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> Another one is they put ice cold water into each ear. I'm not really sure how they do this. Do they move the person's head side to side? I, I'd love to have someone to bounce these ideas off. I, I, need to, I think I need to speak to a neurologist um, and just be like, what is this? So if there's any neurologists or doctors out there, medical professionals who know the answer to these questions and you're listening, you can find me on Twitter at Izzy Justine and also on Instagram. Please let me know. <laughs> Another one is that a thin plastic tube is placed down the windpipe to see if it provokes gagging or coughing. So if you have brain death, like I said, the, the brainstem, all these necessary functions, then it controls breathing and your diaphragm and your respiratory movement. So even though we don't consciously gag, our brains and our bodies are trained to know that if something is obstructing that airway where we get this precious oxygen that we need to live, we're going to gag or cough to get it out of the way to remove the obstruction and breathe as normal. Um, I actually saw something really cool on Reddit yesterday, just on a little tangent. Now, I can't verify this, say it's true, but I was on the subreddit Explain Like I'm Five, which I just find really helpful for a lot of scientific things. And someone was saying, you know, why, why can bears and other animals, when they eat smaller animals, let's say, like fish or small birds, they're eating them bones and all. You know, they don't necessarily take the fur off or the feathers off. Whereas we have a very set way of doing it. And if you choke on a chicken bone, why is that such a danger for us? Whereas they swallow them and it's not an issue. And someone said that our esophagus has evolved to allow speech and more um, complex communication with each other. But that has also made it narrower, which means we are more at a risk for choking. It's just we have to take it with that. But also I think... You know, as it has evolved and changed to um, allow this level of communication, it also means that we have this level of intelligence, so we know not to swallow bones. Well, 
you know, kids don't know that. Kids, I always put weird things in my mouth as a child. I ate stuff off the floor. I got a sweet stuck up my nose. But as we learn and as we grow, we know what we can recognize a choking hazard. We recognize what we can and cannot uh, consume or what would hurt us. Another way, and I think this would maybe be the last test, but I'm not sure, I couldn't tell you if these are all in chronological order, is that the person is disconnected from the ventilator for a very brief period of time and they will see if they will stop breathing. So when you hear of pulling the plug, or they're taking off life support, this is what they're referring to. Now, not necessarily this test, because this test is just to check. If they keep breathing on their own, fantastic. It is maybe brain damage that is irreversible, but they are not technically brain dead. There is some sort of intact piece of brain there. The brain stem is still functioning as expected or as it should, let's say. But when a decision is made, that is what happens. When someone is taken off life support, that's it. It's literally just they're taken off the ventilator. And they will stop breathing of their own accord. And then their heart will stop. But it is important again to remember that if someone is brain dead, they are not conscious. They have no level of consciousness, not even a subconsciousness. They're not aware. They don't know this is happening. And they can't feel it. And I think that's kind of where the peace should come in. But obviously it is such a difficult situation to be in. And I, th- I consider myself lucky. That I've never been in that situation. And there is sometimes that ethical conundrum where we hear of these families who keep their loved ones on life support for months, years even. And I'm not quite sure how to approach that situation. Obviously, it's not like these people are coming to me asking me for advice. But if they did, what would I say? As an outsider, it's very easy for me to say, you're being selfish, you're being unethical. That person that you love is gone. But I don't know what I would do if it were me. I like to think that I would have the grace and that I could express my love in a way that I would say, take them off, they're already gone. But having experienced death, and seeing how quickly I ate my own words and backpedaled, I was like, wait, no. <laughs> it is very difficult to say. And I do wonder, is there a time? Not necessarily here because of this right to life. I'm not sure how the rules work. But is there a time where the medical professionals, the staff can overrule the family? Is that malpractice? There was a video I saw quite recently on my TikTok for you page and I don't understand the context of this. This is all alleged. This is a memory uh, several months ago now and someone was filming a TikTok in the hospital room of their child and they were asking for help and they were saying, please come to this hospital. The, tr- the doctors are trying to kill my son, which is a very big word, kill. And it's something that is used in so many different contexts. People use it in the case of abortion. And whether that's accurate or not is, again, massively debated. 
if you are pulling the plug on someone, are you ending their life? And this is what that was referring to. They were saying, come to, come to the hospital or contact the hospital. Let them know that they cannot kill my son. And the people in the comments who had maybe done more research than I, because I just saw this video and I was so confused and I was like, if this is true, this is horrifying. It's, it's illegal. And the comments said, they're not trying to kill your son. He's on life support. You need to take him off. And it just seemed like such a tragic, confusing situation for everyone involved. And I think it really displays our misunderstanding in modern society of what death is. I think perhaps in a way defining it as the soul departing the body was clearer. Because if you go to any person on the street and say, death is the cessation of biological functions in an organic organism. They're gonna just, that's a lot of words, a lot of words that we generally don't use in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think death is an objective experience for everyone who experiences it, but also everyone who witnesses it and what that means for them. What does death mean to you? And that is the question I want to pose to you. What does that mean? When would you consider yourself dead? Would it be cardiac death? Or do you believe that if you were brain dead, you would consider yourself dead? You would want your next of kin to take you off life support to make that decision. How long would you want them to wait, if at all? With that being said, it is time to wrap up our episode. It's just something for you all to think about. I want to discuss more how we view death and our modern approach to it and how we see it as something that happens very far away. Because when we're faced with it, that's when we really need an understanding, but we don't have one. I think offense is the best defense in this stage. Knowing what you're going into before you go into it, before you are tasked with understanding what's happening to yourself or someone you love and what you want done with that because it is your life your body and your death thank you for listening to this episode of dying to know i've been izzy your podcast host and just general little death gremlin it has been so wonderful to do this so far, uh, even just me sitting in my living room speaking to this invisible audience. But here's the thing, I want to know what you think. I want to hear what people want to know because that is the idea of this podcast, that I answer the questions that people are too afraid to ask. And I obviously don't know everything. Uh, a lot of this is also me doing research in my own time. So if you have any questions for me or any suggestions, please send them to me. Um, my handle on Twitter and Instagram is Izzy Justine. So that's I-Z-Z-I-E-J-U-S-T-I-N-E. So look after yourself, look after your loved ones, and thank you for sharing this space with me.